0: we were kind of in a hurry. We were covering a lot of stuff yesterday, and I, and I neglected to do that. I'm Pastor Brandon Briscoe. Um, I'm the college and young adult pastor here at Midtown Baptist Temple. I've been doing that for about three and a half years. Um, and what I'm going to be talking to you about today is is basically um, a construct that we use uh, in our ministry uh, to, to extend the gospel into areas of our city. Uh, that, that we are going to. Um, campuses, neighborhoods, workplaces. So yesterday, we spent a lot of time talking about the character of our Bible studies. Addressing the values that we should have in our Bible studies uh, to make sure that our heart is right before the Lord and that, that our focus is, is correct. Um, tomorrow, we're gonna be talking about curriculum. So we're actually gonna be empowering you with a tool that You can use a very specific tool that you can use with The Lost, either in a one-on-one Bible study or in a, or in a small group setting. Dan's even going to talk to you about how, uh, how effective it was for him to preach these, this, this curriculum on a Sunday morning. And so, um, we'll be talking about that tomorrow. Today, we will be addressing a construct, a method that we use to multiply the gospel in Kansas City. And I want to I come before you very humbly I recognize that this room is full of a lot of pastors, a lot of young people, that God is using you, uh, that that you're being evangelical on a day-to-day basis in a way that God's gifted you, you, in a way that you see uh, that that God wants to use you. Maybe you're, you're a fantastic confrontational evangelist, and God's gifted you in that way, and you see souls everywhere you go, and you have no fear as it concerns walking up to someone on the street and sharing the gospel with them. And for that, man, praise God, keep doing that. Keep doing that. Uh, Man, maybe you are an excellent relationship builder and you have the ability to build a relationship in a short period of time that makes that person believe that you love them and they're convinced that you love them and that you're for them and you can make a a short-term relationship feel like that person has known you for for 20 years. Maybe you're gifted in that way and that's how God uses you to evangelize. What we're gonna be talking about today is is a way that God can use Bible study not just, to, not just to evangelize, but also to raise up leaders. And it, there's a lot of connection here to what Sam was saying. You're going to see a lot of what he said today in that session pour over into what we're talking about. Because I, I really do believe uh, that Bible studies can be effective ways to raise up the next generation of pastors and leaders in our churches. And so we'll be addressing that as well. Okay, So today we're going to be talking about Discovery Bible Method. Discovery Bible Method. And uh, Sam has preached for many, many years now that we want to get Bibles open with the lost. So if if you're at Midtown Baptist Temple, you hear him tuck that phrase uh, into any conversation about evangelizing or reaching out to the lost. He says we want to get Bibles open with the lost. And and the premise for that is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So that's pretty powerful, pretty sharp. We we recognize that that this passage is equating the word of God to a a surgical knife, surgical precision. Because it has the ability to pierce even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit into the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's a a pretty sharp and precise sword. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, the word of God has the ability, when lost people are exposed to it, for them to suddenly recognize their utter lostness before a holy and righteous God. It has the ability for them to see their sin in a way that they didn't discern before. It has, the, uh, has a way of separating out a, a person's soul from their flesh that allows them to see the power of the cross and the reality of heaven in a way that you and I can't convince them of. In the eloquence of our speech, in the, in the beauty of our apologetics, We don't have the ability in our our flesh. You know, one of the things you often hear is that if we have the ability to convince someone to get saved, well, they'll be easily convinced to walk away from the Lord. If it's in our convincing, if it's in our power, man, you could just as easily lose someone to the world as you could gain, gain them to the Lord. It has to be the word. There's something unique about it, as we all know. Now here's something I wanna point out is that in our secular society today, and I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm be making a, a cultural um, diagnosis here for a moment. In our secular society, people are often as disconnected from the gospel as they are in pagan or Islamic countries. So bear with me for a second. What we're gonna be talking about in terms of discovery Bible method has really been perfected by missionaries first. People who are living in a missional way in places where they're surrounded by pagans and they're surrounded by, by believers of other faith systems where people are imprisoned and indoctrinated to ideas that are completely and wholly separate from God. And these methods, this approach, is actually an approach that they've used. Now listen, what I'm saying is, in a secular society like the one that we live in today, the people that we surround ourselves with are not much different than those, those pagan people that that we might encounter in India, in the Hindu faith system. They're not that much different. I was a high school teacher for a decade. Man, it was, it was such a great time. This is my first year full-time in ministry, and it's been a whirlwind. That's a whole other conversation. But it's been awesome. I miss, I miss being in the classroom. But one of the things that I observed when I was in the classroom day-to-day, that you could have a person whose father is, the, is a pastor and they grew up in church, and they know the gospel by heart, sitting next to a person, I mean, this isn't a suburban Kansas City community, sitting next to a person who's literally never stepped foot into a church ever in their entire life. And somehow, they'll get through an entire semester and never have a conversation about the gospel. And, and really, what would most people do? Okay, I, ha- I have the gospel, this person doesn't you know what most of us do is we work up the gumption to invite them to church as though that's the answer and especially with young people because of fear we rely on this idea that, that, that we're supposed to maybe just get them to church if we could just, if so and so would just visit church but listen to me we live in a world that's so secular that I, I don't know about you but I'm hearing the word cult as it concerns church, more and more and more. Uh, you, you, that you might have the exact same experience, but I mean, in the last two or three years, people are quick to use the term cult as it concerns any Bible-believing church. It's crazy. Now, why is that? Why is that? It's because tribalism has hardened people's hearts. And when I say tribalism, what I mean is that people associate themselves with philosophical ideas and they're so entrenched by them that anything outside of that idea gives them so much fear that they only know how to fight in reaction. Okay, politics is a beautiful example of that. Some say that in a post-Christian society, that politics is the new religion. It's the new tribalism. And people get so entrenched in their ideas that that their little bubble, their little cultural bubble that when anything comes up against that, their natural reaction is to say, cult. Whatever that is, I don't want any part of that. And so think about inviting someone to church in a society that's like that. You're gonna get turned down a lot. (laughs) And it isn't necessarily gonna be effective. Is this making sense to you? I'm trying to make a cultural connection here. Now, what has to happen is that we have to go to the lost and we need to establish means to sharing the gospel. And here at MBT, we've over time become convinced that the only thing that can, can cut through the social and cultural hindrances to the gospel is the Bible itself. It's the Bible itself. Because if we go about trying to convince people, we will either chase them off or they'll easily be convinced by someone on the other side of a tribal community. I, ho- I hope that makes sense. We believe that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so what we need to do is get masterful at crafting it in a way that will bring people and draw people to the gospel so that they'll never return to the world. And we know that there are many methods of evangelizing the lost, but what we're suggesting is that Bible study is one way and perhaps a more effective way, perhaps. And, and we know that personally by experience here that God has used Bible study. Letting the book speak for itself sets an amazing standard for obedience once someone does get saved. So so let me, I I haven't even gotten into the content yet, but but what I wanna say to you is this. If you begin a relationship with someone that starts on the foundation and the authority of God's word, if it starts there, then as it progresses, that standard remains the same. One of the ways I've heard it talked about is like if, uh, I think this is actually something Dan said, I can't remember. All of the postscript interviews are getting so jumbled that I don't even, but you, I think you said this in one, maybe one of the interviews recently. Um, but someone said, however you win someone is how you have to retain them. Was that you? I can't remember who said that, someone really wise. So like if you win someone through an event, You guys do an event at your church, it brings in a bunch of people, it's really exciting, it's a lot of fun, and you win someone that way. Well, guess what? You you're you're gonna have to retain them that way. They're gonna always be looking for those connections, those event highs. Because that to them is the association that they make when they think of the gospel. Now, again, I'm not saying anything against that. We lead people to Christ at events. And we pray that we can disciple them out of that perspective and get them to a place where where the word of God is a standard. But if you reach someone with the Bible open, after months and months of conversing with them, after praying for them, after showing them that the word of God is truly the authority, because people in our world don't believe that, they don't know that, they don't know this book is divine. the, The amazing thing is that this book is a joke to most people until you open it. And then... There is no person who can't take this book seriously once it's open. They have to lie to themselves. This book is powerful. And if we win people with it open, then we keep them that way and we've got disciples forever. So what we're gonna be talking about today is Discovery Bible Method, which is just a very simple construct for doing group and one-on-one Bible study with people. Now, I'm gonna talk about it primarily in terms of group Bible study. Now, now before we get into that, I also wanna talk about another concept, if we can, for a moment. And it's one that I ran into early on in, in ministry with the college and young adults. And I said to myself pretty early on, what would it look like to take the church planting concept and overlay it on top of the Bible study concept? In other words, all the things that we believe about church planning in terms of, of dividing and multiplying and have the idea that, man, we want to plant a church in, in Olathe and, and we want to plant a church in North Kansas City and we want to plant a church in Boston. We want to plant a church in Tampa. We want to plant churches all over our city, all over our region. Now, if we took that same idea and applied it to the concept of Bible study and we used it as an idea that Bible studies will take the city first, and that God will use Bible studies to to funnel people into this local church or spur a new church, like Dan's testimony is, then we're doing the work. We're doing the work. So I want to point out a few things as it concerns those ideas, as it concerns that perspective. First thing is, planting Bible studies. When we think about planting Bible studies, we can recognize pretty easily that planting Bible studies extends your church and their reach into smaller communities, neighborhoods, and workplaces. Now for the college and young adult ministry, we really reach three major groups. Okay, we reach college students on college campuses. So we have Bible studies on college campuses. We reach people in workplaces. So there's lots of workplace, you know, young adults, they graduate from, from college, they get a career, And what they do is they try to start one-on-one Bible studies or small group Bible studies with people at work as an evangelical tool. And then we also have um, international student ministry, and that's another group that we reach. And we also do reach out to them uh, through a multiplicity of ways, but Bible study is a crucial component to that. And so, what's important for us to stand, uh, understand is that Bible studies are tiny microcultures of your church community that you take and you place that culture in another area of your city that it might expand and grow and overcome the neighborhood or the township or whatever it might be. That's the idea. And we get that, right? We get that. That's the church planning model, but on a smaller level, focused on your city. A Bible study can and should establish microcultures of your church in pockets of your cities, in towns with the belief that they will germinate. Are you with me? When you teach like this, you don't get a whole lot of amens very often, and so I don't really know how to react. I want to know that you're getting this content and it makes sense, and hopefully we can leave a little bit of time for a Q& A at the end if I move fast enough. Planning Bible studies also makes owning the mission tangible and account- accountable for your church. And what do I mean by that? I mean that when, when young believers that are coming up recognize that, recognize that this is part of their mission model and they can own it. I mean, not, not every you know, believer that's three years saved is gonna go plant a church. God, I mean, actually, God forbid, now that I think about that. That sounds really <laughs> scary that someone's been saved for three years, right? Like, it takes longer than that. But you know what, someone who's been saved for three years, who's been through discipleship and been through D2, they they can plan a Bible study. And suddenly what happens is the mission becomes tangible. They can handle it. It's theirs. The whole idea of the church planning thing and the evangelism thing and the discipleship thing, they can hold it and they can own it. Next, planning Bible studies prepares growing leaders to become shepherds. We'll talk about this more later. And we'll have that in some of our testimonies. But the beautiful thing is, because I can hand a Bible study off to someone who's only been saved for three or four years, it begins to prepare them for what their life might look like in eight years. I'm telling you right now, I won't won't name names, but there are men in my ministry. I'm so thankful to say that God has used Bible study in their life They have use them to shepherd other people. Man, I see pastor all over them. I see missionary all over them. And they get to exercise that. They get to practice what it means to be compassionate and empathetic in counseling. They get to listen to other people's problems. They get to open the book with people. They They get to devour it so that it might be disseminated. And it's so good for them and it's so healthy for them. And what it does is it it develops future shepherds. It's a great tool to do that. You know, Sam was talking about making ministry opportunities for up and coming leaders. You have to leave a void. Now, sometimes it's really hard to do that, especially the bigger your church gets. There's some people that are just in charge of that thing and in charge of that thing and they're not letting go of that for a while. That's what God's given them to do. And there's not a whole lot of empty space there. Okay, well, let's make empty space. Let me tell you, There's a college campus right around the corner that we're failing to reach. There's a void there. We can send people there. Lastly, planning Bible studies prepares people to plant churches. It prepares people to plant churches. And so this pioneering spirit is developed in the heart of believers and they know a little bit about what it takes, what it takes to reach a community. What what it takes to reach a a, a people group. They they get that spirit. They get that concept. They get that construct. And then when it comes time for them to go be a part of a church plant, I mean, who, okay, listen, I'm going to say this. I'm going to expect an amen here. (laughs) Who wants to see their church planting new churches? Now, are you going to say, oh, well, God has raised up this faithful family? And we're going to send them, we're going to send them to Tampa. Praise God for this family. Or would you rather say that God's grown this church so much through Bible study and we've grown so many leaders that we're going to send that family with a team of 10. And we know for a fact that all the people on that team have practiced exactly what we want church planting to be because we saw them do it in a Bible study context. So this is what I'm talking about. And we've seen God doing this here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and I do believe that it seems to be working. No one's telling you what you need to do, but you're in this room and not another room because I, I think you're interested in hearing it. So I'm going pre, to present it the way I know it, and you can do what you want with it. So the next question would be, what, what, does a, what does a Bible study look like? What do we mean when we say Bible study? What do we mean when we say bibles Bible study? Who freaking knows anymore? People use the word Bible study. You know, they use it, and they have—they never even—they're reading Beth Moore. Shut up. (laughs) The Christian world is inundated with imitation Bible study. That's true. You guys know what fake crab tastes like. Don't you hate it when when you expect to eat like real crab and then that rubbery stuff comes out? (laughs) It's disgusting. I don't know why. Whenever I think of imitation stuff, I think the fake crab is hideous. How do they think that approximates what real crab tastes like? I don't know. These people, these believers, are convinced that they're doing Bible study. It's weird. Gatherings that masquerade as Christ centered people discussing their view of a passage. Now, they, they might have the Bible open, but rather than comparing Scripture with Scripture, they convince they're doing, so themselves they're doing Bible study because they're sharing their opinion about the Bible, their opinion, their intellect, their perception. That's ridiculous, but this is what people do. They sit around and they're like, I think, I think what's being said here is that God wants me to be a missionary in Bolivia in this passage. And like it's like, uh, you know, it's some obscure passage in Daniel or something. You know, like, they're just, th- these people, they're, they're reading the Bible, and, but they're, they're, they're not actually listening to God's voice. And this is, this, is what, this is going on in our year, and it leaves potential for conjecture and that's dangerous. There's people that are focusing on prayer and fellowship in their Bible studies to the neglect of opening the book, to the neglect of studying scripture. They get together and they love the fellowship aspect. They might even, even gather in prayer, those are good things. But you know what, a lot of people are neglecting opening the book. People studying books and commentaries about the Bible but all the while, they don't, they don't understand and see that they could, they, they could just go right to the book. They could get the real deal. The, the truth is, they don't know how to study the word. We'll get to that later. They don't know how to study the word, and so they're afraid to open the Bible, and so they, they, they let someone else translate it for them. And so that's what they do in Bible study because there's no leaders in Bible studies. And so they get around in a big circle, and, and, and someone else... Rick Warren becomes their authority, you know? People studying and preparing alone, then delivering what they learned. You go, everybody, I would bet that most people in this, Bible, in, this, in this room have been a part of Bible studies where people go away and they prepare a study and then they come back and they get a five-minute platform to pontificate on what God showed them in their quiet time. I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's gotta be space for that in our ministry. There's gotta be a place where people can share what they got in their quiet time. But listen to me, people should be studying the Bible. And if it's, and if it's learning that we want people to get, well, well, we have discipleship and we have D2 and we have LFBI. Who says that Bible study can't also be a learning opportunity without leaving people on the perimeter? A lot of the constructs of our Bible study, we talked about this briefly yesterday, is that what we do is we go away and we do Bible study. We come back, and the people that are, that are sharing, it makes that community really elite. Wow, that person knows a lot about the Bible. I'll, ne- I'll never know the Bible like that. Or maybe, like, imagine a lost person in that setting where people will go around in a, cir- in a circle and they talk about what they learned from Ecclesiastes. It's exclusionary. I'm not saying there's not a place for it. I'm just saying that if our Bible studies are built that way, that's great. That's a thing, but it's, it's, it's gonna be very edifying, but it won't be evangelical. And what we're talking about is evangelism. Is everybody with me? Okay, so what, what we need to get into is that what we need in Bible study is a few things. Shall we? What do we want from Bible study? We want it to be Bible-centered. Every Bible study should have a culture that asserts the Bible as the authority for all of life. 2 Peter 1.3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, amen, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Where are those promises found? In the word of God. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the word through lust. Every Bible study leader should be equipped to support a a proper biblical hermeneutic. Every Bible study leader has to know enough about their Bible where they can divide it on their own. That's an important part of of training up Bible study leaders. There has to be proven in them that they know how to live a Bible centered life, they know how to divide God's word. Next, it needs to be prayer centered prayer centered every bible study should understand prayer as crucial that has to be a component of every bible study why because it's the fuel i mean that we're talking about jesus juice that's the G, prayer is the jesus juice it activates everything and prayer has to be a crucial part of what we do in bible study and if you are if you're neglecting prayer in bible study well i would suggest How are you gonna study Bible right? Without the guidance of God's Holy Spirit and the power of his hand upon your work. Psalm 1 says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. We've read that several times over this conference. Um, Next, it should be leadership development. Every Bible study should be fertile ground for training and reproducing more Bible study leaders. That's really important. In other words, if, Bible, if a Bible study leader doesn't recognize that it's their responsibility to train another Bible study leader, something is gonna get lost and there won't be a multiplying. Every Bible study leader has to recognize that their job is to lead the group, but then also to disciple the person that they're gonna send out six months or a year later to start a new Bible study in a new area of the city, Okay? Very, very important. 2 Timothy 2.2, of course. You can read it for yourself. We'll keep going. We've got to to reproduce ourselves. Accountability. Every Bible study should be a loving community with a culture of empathy, encouragement, and exhortation. If you're not holding people accountable to what they're learning, then the word of God will have no effect in their life and they'll receive it with, with hands, with their fingers open. It'll just slip right through. The accountability is us helping one another lock hands so that the word of God does not fall to the ground. And, and, and the only way to really do that, and I, will, I, I won't go down this, this line of thinking. You guys understand this. The only way to properly hold people accountable is to love them in truth. No one wants your accountability if you're a jerk. No one wants it. It will be ineffective. You have to be a loving person and Bible study leaders have to model that first and foremost because we know Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And then lastly, what we're suggesting is that Bible studies need to be evangelical. Is that what we want? Is that why we're in this room? Because I think the other stuff we kind of get, don't we? But we want our Bible studies to be evangelical. Every Bible study should be an invitation to the lost to engage truth in love. Romans 10, 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Our Bible studies actually have the ability to empower every member of that Bible study to have beautiful feet. Okay, so before I talk about, I know this is like all set up, Like, just give us the information on how to do it. Okay, before I do that, I want to invite uh, Lydia and Lisa up. And I'll I'll, I'll frame it this way. Lisa has been a leader in Kaya for many years now. Uh, Come on up, yeah. And um, Lisa was once in a Bible study, okay, that, that trained her to do Bible study. And then Lisa started a Bible study in her apartment here in Midtown, okay? And her Bible study grew. And now she's at a place where we're ready to start a new Bible study. And I want these two to share with you about how God did that. I think this mic is good, okay.
1: Okay, Um, I'll keep it super brief because I want Lydia to talk to you. But that was a huge thing that was modeled to me. So I was a part of Julie Sidebottom's Bible study and that originally met in the Medlands duplex in their basement area, which is just kind of crazy to think about when that was planted. Um, But Julie intentionally invested in me and gave me opportunity to um, lead the women in our small group in the context of Bible study. And how she did that was exactly what Brandon's describing, of just challenging me and sharpening me through the Word, but also putting me in context that allowed me to fail, which I don't like because I want to be, yeah, I want to do well. And, but in that, though, it opened my eyes to see the capacity in, in, in terms of leadership of what is required to actually shepherd, what is required to actually lead. And that's not just like having all the right questions and knowing all the right things, but it's having... A shepherd's heart for the people Man, that God's um, given you. And that's no small thing. And so God putting that importance on my heart um, challenged me to steward it rightly. And so when our small group was planted, um, there was already faithful, well Lydia was just someone faithful that I had been watching in Julie's small group. And in watching and in praying and Um, in investing and just seeing this proven out over time this was something really exciting to be able to get to a point of like there are 15 girls crammed in our apartment and it's time to it's time to reach Kansas City and so this next month Lydia will be planning a Bible study at UMKC that meets on Thursday nights to reach more students that need him you know like students that need to know the word of God for themselves. And so it's challenging. Um, and another area that I have to attribute to is just watching my husband do the same um, and watching how he shepherds and watching how he challenges and leads and, and makes them question and helps them grow. And I have gleaned so much from that. And it is like, yeah, it shaped me into being the leader that I am. So that, and then now with this small group, we just get to do that all over again. And that's just what gets to keep happening, so...
2: That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and for me, like from even all the way back when we were in Julie's Bible study together, like I learned so much from Lisa and Julie and other growing leaders. And so when Lisa like asked a couple of us girls from that Bible study to come with her, I knew in that moment that I wasn't just like gonna chill in Bible study anymore. Like I wasn't just supposed to be there every week. Like I was there to help Lisa to reach Kansas city and to invest in the girls there. And that was, there was weight to that. And so from day one, like Lisa has been so intentional to, oh, no. <laughs> I'm know. i sorry guys. It's an emotional time. Okay. <laughs> um, but like over the last couple of years, like I've been with Lisa and Lisa has from day one was just desperate that we would be dependent on God. And so week after week, we were on our knees praying that God would move. And we were on our knees praying that God would show us his word. And we were dependent on his word. And that's all it was. Like, it wasn't anything fancy. Like, there's structure to it. But at the end of the day, like Brandon was saying, it's because of God's word that that we're here. And that we've got this Bible study of girls that have gotten saved over the last couple years. And it's just crazy to think about what God's done. But now we're going to go reach UMKC and Lisa was also just intentional from the beginning to commission a couple of us to just be intentional to study things out and bring and come to Bible study prepared to share those with the girls. And I saw Lisa counseling week after week with girls that had like things to pray over and sacrificing hours into the night after Bible study to pray with those girls. And um, she taught me what it looks like to just. Open up the Bible and ask questions, and let God speak to us. And um, and now we're going to reach Kansas City. And yeah.
1: Um, sorry, something super speedy to add to that. That God challenged me with during this time, um, evangelism was something that was lacking in my life significantly, my personal life. Um, but then whenever I have these girls in front of me and I'm just like, wait, we're supposed to be doing this and why aren't we doing this? Um, was something that dramatically transformed our small group. And so while we don't have like so many numbers to account for all the times we evangelize, but it's just like what that did to strengthen the core of our small group of just like, I mean, I can recall hangouts where we would just be sitting at the park, and I'm like, guys, we got to go share the gospel. And what I want to do is just sit here and hang out and not talk about Jesus to anyone else but you guys. And, but having that accountability, like you talked about, to push us, and, and because of that, there is fruit. Um, yeah, there are people that weren't a part of our like, flock before as a result of evangelism, and I'm just super grateful for that opportunity to be challenged in that as well. So.
0: Another thing I want to mention is that a lot of times that women in our ministries don 't have opportunities to lead uh, and not in the in the fullness of their gifting, right We recognize that God is not. Uh, ordained women to be in the pastorate and so there doesn't have to be a threshold in terms of their outreach and evangelism nothing has to be lost in their leadership bible study actually empowers women to be leaders in uh, in our church uh, in in a very similar way uh, to, to the way our, our our pastors do in a very real way uh, uh, Lisa is pastoral over her small group and it's a proper biblical context for that does that make sense I hope that isn't Ruffle anybody's feathers. (laughs) All right. Um, I also want to invite Seth up. This is Seth Harper. Um, So similarly, uh, Seth is going to say probably something similar to to what the girls just said. Uh, Seth is a growing leader in Kaya. He's been a part of a couple Bible studies now, one of which was actually uh, Lisa's husband, uh, Miles' Bible study who and, and I'll just briefly say this and maybe you'll say more about it. Um, very early on, we recognized that there was a failure in, in Kaya in the, in, the, in, uh, the, in the ability for the men to reach campuses. A lot of our guys uh, weren't in college. They decided after high school uh, to get careers and jobs, and so they weren't on campus. And Miles Cheadle, uh, about two years ago, made a very conscientious decision that even though he wasn't on campus at UMKC, that, that as, a, as someone who wasn't in college, he was gonna go back to the campus and try to reach people on campus. And now really within the next year, we'll have our fourth men's Bible study on campus. And, and, and what I, I want there to be 10 men's and 10 women's Bible studies that just meet on UMKC's campus. In the mornings and in the afternoons, five days a week. That's what I'm hoping for, because I think we can really uh, have a, a broad net that way. I'll let Seth share a little bit.
3: Yeah, um, so I think Brandon has me speak to this because I I've, I've like to say I've gotten pinballed around Kaya Bible studies a lot. Uh, so I got saved when I was six and I grew up in the church, but when I was 18, Brandon kind of reeled me in and taught me how to live out my faith. And from there I got plugged into Joe Medlin's Bible study in Lee Summit, which became a church. And I knew God still had me at Midtown. So through that, I got plugged into Uriah's Bible study. And after a little time there, uh, God sent Alex Allen out to plant a Bible study in Grandview. And God laid it on my heart to go with him. And I was going to die in Grandview sharing the gospel. Um, And then God clearly showed me after about a year uh, there that, okay, I'm at UMKC, uh, everyone on my prayer list uh, that, you know, I pray over in the morning goes to UMKC. Miles is planting a Bible study um, at UMKC. I probably need to be at UMKC ministering the gospel to people. And so, God moved me to UMKC, and I was yeah, just under Miles' leadership and learning and growing, and then we got to a point where we needed to split, and uh, so from that, I took um, half of the Bible study to meet on Wednesday nights, and Miles took the other half to meet on Monday nights, and from that point, I was like, cool, I'm leading a Bible study, and then after a few months, I was like, oh no, I'm leading a Bible study. (laughs) and um so about a you know a year of working through that and just uh you know it boils down to uh yeah i'm not sufficient like it's always going to be you know that that oh no unless i come back to uh john 15:4 he says jesus says abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And that is uh, both an amazing and terrifying promise, right? Like, if I'm not doing the work in Jesus Christ, well, well, I'm not gonna get anything done. But if... I'm abiding in Christ, and and if the guys in my Bible study, if we're abiding in Christ, and his words are abiding in us, well, we're going to do the work he calls us to do, right? The love of Christ passes knowledge. That's what the whole book of Ephesians is about. And like, yeah, we don't want to sit around and just hold Bible study. We want to share the gospel, and we want to live it out, and we want to model it, and we want disciples to be made. Um, and so through that, you know, you go two chapters down and Jesus says in John 17 that he he's finished the work that God gave him to do. Well, he hasn't died on the cross yet. The the work was training men up to make disciples. And so what Brandon was talking about that's what we're doing, you know, as we abide in Christ. My goal is Like, we want to reach UMKC for Christ. There's 16,000 students. But that's not going to get done with just me. That's not going to get done with just Miles. Like, we've got to train guys up to go out and to minister the gospel to UMKC and go beyond that because we're not, like, realistically, not all of us are going to be at UMKC forever. And so I firmly believe that in my Bible study of ten guys, ten years down the road, you know, maybe pastors, maybe missionaries, and I want to invest in them now in a way that prepares them to do that and to go out and and live it.
0: Thanks, Steve. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay, so. Does that make sense? Are you, are you f- feeling what we're doing here? Yeah. Um, again, this isn't the only way to train leaders. I'm just telling you, God's used this approach to help us train a lot of leaders. Um, this is how people are coming up in our college and young adult ministry. Um, and I want to say this, that a lot, of people don't, a lot of people don't come to church until they've spent months in Bible study. A lot of the people that we win, a lot of them might not even be very familiar with Midtown Baptist Temple at first. And then over time, what happens is they're like, man, you guys, the, the, the word of God is awesome. And then they, get, then they get invited to church because people are talking about discipleship and, and the college and young adult ministry. And, and then eventually they end up in the new members class and they end up in discipleship, right? That's, that's what we're seeing. So discovery method, let's, are we ready to get into it? Okay, I hope we haven't lost you. The inspiring part is over. Brass tacks. Okay, now listen to me. What is Discovery Bible Method? What is it? It is an expository study method. That's the expository part is really important, isn't it? Expository study method done in a small group situation. That promotes the following. I don't know if it's up on the screen. Is it up there? Yes, Yes, okay. Do I need glasses? Is that what's happening to me right now? Am I just discovering right now that my eyesight is failing me? That's not good. (laughs) Um, Okay, here's the strengths. First thing is that there's an emphasis on learning Bible exposition. And what I mean by that is because it's expository and because the Bible study leaders know the keys of Bible study, when they do a study together... They're actually teaching the other people in the group how to employ the keys of Bible study, okay? The rules of context. We're going to apply that together now. We're gonna do that. Let's talk about the context. What's the context of this passage? What is this book about? How does it fit into the New Testament? How does it fit into the Old Testament? What's going on historically, right? Uh, Where where do we find these themes in other places in Scripture? Where are the connections doctrinally to other places in Scripture? And what they're doing is they're employing the keys of Bible study that they already know, and they're modeling them in the context of the group. That's a strength of Discovery Bible Method, where if you go away and study, no one's learning the keys of Bible study you're coming back and you're showing them what you came up with when you use the keys of Bible study. You know what I mean? But if you're together and you're doing it together, man, people can learn how to study their Bible. It can be an encouragement that scripture can be easily understood. That's the discovery part. So what we're talking about is when when lost people or maybe uh, believers that don't know the book very well, they come into your small group because of the way that you conduct the Bible study People are realizing that they can be a part of the conversation about God's word and they're learning, oh, you want, okay, first mention, what's, the, what's first mention mean? Okay, well, let me show you what first mention means and you go there and you do it. Hey, what did God show you there? Well, God, I've never opened the Bible in my whole life. I've never studied, but God showed me tonight that fill in the blank. And then they walk away, whether it's a lost person or a saved person who is young in their faith, they can leave Bible study and courage knowing that God's word just spoke to them. What just happened? That's the discovery part. Um, it develops uh, good Bible study principles and habits, okay? Uh, that's, again, it's, it reinforces things that maybe people already know, but it promotes good uh, Bible study habits because you're doing Bible study out loud. Um, it promotes small group biblical counseling. I mean, what pastor doesn't need help in the counseling ministry? I'm, f- I'm so exhausted, guys. Counseling, it's, it can be so tough and it's such a time suck. You know what I mean? You could be doing a million things to envision your church and, and, and what happens is the more Bible studies you have and the more strong the leaders are and the more that thing is multiplying, guess what? The first line of defense in counseling is Lisa. It's Lydia. And most of the counseling gets taken care of if it doesn't take uh, getting taken care of in a discipleship relationship, it gets taken care of in the Bible study context, right? I like that idea, it's helpful. Okay, and then, it's, then of course it's the, the evangelism part that's super important because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're creating an environment where people in your small group aren't afraid to bring their lost friends to the small group. They're not afraid to do that because they know that the Bible study construct itself is conducive to allowing all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds to come and be a part and then hear from the word of God. That's what it does, discovery Bible method. So the first thing that's important is that our leaders are facilitators. You need to write that down. Our Bible study leaders aren't, necessarily teachers. So when I went to school to become a teacher, okay, uh, one of the things that I learned is that the best teachers ask the best questions and they allow their students, I was an art teacher. And so what I got really good at was asking good questions or giving people permission to go explore and they learned as I guided them in the learning. That seems simple, right? But but be, because of modernism and our love for lecture and our love for pontificating, uh, what we want to do is we want to come to the Bible study and we want to be the teacher. And what I'm suggesting that in a discovery Bible method, you'll never get the discovery Bible method right. If as a teacher, you don't recognize that your real job is just to facilitate. It's just facilitation. And so in your preparation, you're asking a million Questions. You're, you're writing down question after question after question. And you're preparing questions to guide the learning. So that they're not out here. So that they're coming in and they're getting an alignment. You're not telling them what to believe. You're not telling them what to think. You're setting up parameters so that they're headed the right direction. The word of God will do the rest. And you just make sure that you guide along the way. Okay? So facilitator is a super important. Uh, in, in, in our Bible study, just, you guys, again, this is what we do. Just be aware. This is what we do. But I want my Bible study leaders to be proven. They need to be faithful and consistent to Bible study. right? They need to, I need to, like, we needed to know that Lydia had been faithful to her Bible study before we could give her a Bible study. We, we needed to see that faithfulness. Um, they've been through D2 because I want them to have a grasp on the keys of Bible study. That's the part that's really important. They need to have successfully discipled someone, right? They need to success, have successfully discipled someone. Um, that's, that's really, really important for all of the obvious reasons um, because if they haven't, then, then they actually aren't proven as a shepherd. Discipleship itself, the discipleship relationship proves whether or not they can shepherd one person, let alone eight, 10, 12, Right? Uh, and then, preferably, they've been through biblical counseling. That's something that I pr- push really hard is for my, my, um, my Bible study leaders to have taken biblical counseling so that they're prepared to address counseling issues in the context of Bible study. In LFBI, we try to offer biblical counseling once a year, either as an archive class or as, as a, as a uh, streaming lecture because we want people to get that content so that we can plant more Bible studies. All right? Now, a facilitator prepares their Bible study in advance. They read through the passage on their own. Okay, you guys, who's done, who has done personal Bible studies together? Maybe in an SOT format, you've done, you've, stu- oh, we're in trouble now. Who's studied the Bible on their own? Okay. So then I don't need to dive, deep dive into that. What you're going to do is you're going to study a passage You're going to read the passage for yourself. You're going to pour over it. You're going to let it pour over you. You're going to dissect the passage, and you're going to do something that I refer to as chunking. As I just haven't found a better word for it yet. We chunk. I also apparently can't say it without spitting a little bit. Chunk the passage. Okay, we dissect the passage into bite-sized thoughts, okay? Now, I wanna show you an example. I think it's the next slide, and it's also in the back of your notes. This is kind of what that looks like. You guys might be familiar with this, all right? So this is a very simple, I think your notes in the back show you maybe a little bit more developed version of that. This is what it looks like to chunk out a passage. Here is three unique parts of a Bible study Okay, we could refer to it as component one, component two, component three. And you simply go through, you highlight specific thoughts of the passage. Obviously, they flow into each other. Okay, they build on each other. But then you divide them out in terms of ideas. Okay, so this first one here, this is a study of Romans, uh, verses 14, or verse 14 and 15, the tone and tenor of a minister. That's just the name that I came up with, right, as the person who studied the passage. You don't necessarily share that, right? That's just for me to better understand what's happening here. I'm doing a study, right? I find verse references that may, I may or may not reference in the context of, of the Discovery Bible Method. But they're there for my, my personal reference just in case I need to bust them out, right? The second chunk, a minister has a message. Again, that's just what I came up with, all right? And so this is divided out into portions that I will also divide out in portions in the group. Okay, are you with me? So that's what that kind of looks like to come up with a Bible study where you're studying to help teach. Now again, we'll we'll, we'll address how to do that later. So you study, and you study particularly those parts of the passage that might prove difficult in the study. So you can imagine for a second if you're in a difficult portion of Scripture and an issue of, I don't know, the word predestinated comes up. Okay, you better know what you're talking about. Okay, you better have the verse references down and tucked away. Now, listen to me in a college and young adult Bible study, okay, especially like in some of these groups, it wouldn't even come up. They'd read the word predestinated, everybody would define it together, and then you'd move on. You know, this is the beautiful thing about 2019 and Generation Z and, and millennials is you know what? They actually, if you just basically give them a, a, a simple reason why you use a KJV, they don't really give a crap. They're like, yeah. That sounds right to me. Where do I get one? They're, they're not concerned about a lot of the things that the religious are concerned about. And so some of these conversations, they might not get addressed, but as a Bible study leader, you need to be prepared to address them. And so if you have a hard passage, something difficult comes up, you're, as a Bible study leader, you need to have exhausted that so that if a conversation goes down that road, you're prepared to do it. Yeah. And then ultimately you need to pray. The Bible study leader needs to be praying in, 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 the, in the quiet of their prayer closet that God would work in their small group, that God would use this particular passage to, uh, to affect lives of people. Okay, so you prepare the passage. And then the next thing that you do is you meet. You meet. So you've prepared the passage and then you come together as a group. And, and um, you can go to the to the next slide, I believe. Okay, yeah, this is where we're at. So the first thing you do with your small group when you do Discovery Bible Method is you read, okay? You read. You, be, you begin with prayer, of course, okay? And, and again, your Bible studies might look different. In our Bible studies, we, begin, we generally begin with prayer. We have a small season where people get to share their issues and they get to say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. And the Bible study leader has to be very careful because we want to protect our time in the Word. And so they spend maybe 10 or 15 minutes as a small group and they they pray together and they do that and then they pray for their time and then they begin to read. And this is how they read. Each person reads the assigned passage silently to themselves. So the room gets quiet. The Bible study leader says, hey, just read this passage and meditate on it for a moment. And so they read quietly. The room gets quiet. And then once that's done, the Bible study leader says, okay, let's read it together. And what they do is they take turns and they go round robin, around the circle, each person reading a verse so everyone can s- say what they just read quietly out loud. And 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 and, and you know when you read a, a portion of scripture, it's easy to gloss over a verse, but there's something magical about going around the the. the the circle because people are afraid that they're like they're waiting for their turn and they're like, okay, I gotta read the right verse, I gotta read the right verse. And, and so they're, they're, it's going around the circle and so they're paying attention and they're listening. They're hearing this person's voice and then this person's voice, okay, now it's my turn and they read and then it goes and they're paying attention and then what you do from there, once everyone has read the verse, <clears throat> then what you do is you ask them to consider what they read and what the theme of the passage might be. So that leads us to the next thing, uncovering the theme. Ask the group what the central idea or the theme of the passage is, then make them support it with a verse or a pattern in the scriptures. Okay, so from the passage, there might be a one verse that clearly identifies the theme, and everybody might be in agreement. Everybody's saying, hey, you know what? This has got to be it. This is, seems to be what this passage is about. Sometimes it's a word that pops up. You guys, you know, when you study, you know how this goes. This word has showed up three times. So obviously this is the theme. This is what God's doing. And then you might have two people that kind of disagree. Like, no, this is a theme and this is a thing. Okay, not for the sake of arguing, but they're just sharing their heart, what God is showing them, and you support that. Now, listen to me from the very beginning. Okay, this is where the facilitator starts doing their magic, okay? This is where they start saying to the quiet person in the group, all right, hey um, Cynthia, Cynthia. <laughs> Cynthia Lynch came to mind. Cynthia, um, would you mind telling me what you think the theme of this passage is? And so, what you're doing is you're getting people who are naturally introverted involved, and then and then listen, I'm going to say this several times. Then what you do is you affirm people. Affirmation is crucial in this process. So even if they're wrong, what you do is you say, hey, I see, I see what you're saying. I see what, I, see what I, think, or I think I know where you're going right now. But actually, did you see this over here? Okay, you see that now? Awesome, cool. So we're on the same page. And then you move on, and you want to make sure that you're affirming people, especially the lost especially lost people that are sitting in that circle who've never had an experience with Christians, who've never had an experience with the Word of God, if they get something, even if it's just a bite, even if they just get a nibble, you affirm that. You say, hey, you know what? That's good. And if it's, not, if it's real divergent and if it goes off in, in, into a place that you know that it's doctrinally unsound, then, then that's the moment you become the teacher again, and then you bring things back into the boundaries, and you say, actually, this is what the Word of God says over here, and that's why we need to understand this that way, and I love that you said that, but this is actually what it's saying, and, and keep, keep, keep helping us study tonight. You're doing a great job. You with me? Okay. So you, you establish the theme, and then everybody writes the theme down. This is what it is, and here's the verses, because we want to support everything with the Word of God. This is what I see in this passage. This is the verse to support that. Um, And and here's an important point I want to make briefly, is that if it's the, say you're starting Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, it's our first time in this book, okay, that's a moment where the Bible study leader should provide a historical and doctrinal context to set the groundwork. Because the small group isn't going to really be able to do that. So it's your responsibility from the very beginning to provide a context, especially the historical background, to allow them to move forward. And you might remind them that of each time you meet. You might just remind them of that. Just bring it up again here and there. That's a moment of teaching uh, that you can do. So make sure you're always prepared to do that so you're not leaving people um, in misunderstanding the historical context. Next, this is the major part. This is the part that takes the most amount of time, and it's the dissection of the scripture, okay? This is where we employ the chunking, okay? You use the chunk passages, and you allow the small group to discuss sections of the individual thoughts, And they look for repeated words, they look for repeated phrases, ideas that provoke conversation. This is where if someone wanted to say something about what God was showing them, they could do that. But primarily we want to focus on doctrine in this moment. We'll focus on application at the end. And so you want them to to be pulling out doctrinal truths from the passage that they can hold on to. They need handlebars. And so what you might do is you might say, hey, can can you think of another place in Scripture where God's talking about the same thing? And, and, the, and the people that have been around for a few months, they've been like, you know what, we read over here. And they might be able to go and find a passage that supports that. This is where you're teaching people how to use treasury of scripture knowledge. Put one on the table. Ask them to pull it up on their phones. Help them to find verse references to support what they're saying. You have a concordance out. Show people how to use a concordance. I remember, <clears throat> I remember in 2002. No, 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 I take that back. It would have been before that. 2000, it would have been 2000. Jim Boyette, in his basement, for those of you who know who Jim, showed me how to use a concordance. And I I only kind of understood after he was done. I was like, what, Hebrew, Greek, what? You know, I was a teenager. But I remember, I remember learning how to use a concordance. And we need to be, in the, in, in the context of our Bible study, we could be teaching people how to do that. This is how you do it. And then they can find verse references. And they can do word studies right there, right there. Hey, guys, we're going to take five minutes right now, quietly. We're going to do a word study on the word propitiation. Okay? Are you ready? Or, let's, or even something simple, like justified. A lost person's not going to know what that means. Give them a concordance and let them find out. Go find where all the, words, the word justified is used in scripture, and then we'll come back together and try to create a definition as a team. Can we do that? How encouraging is it to, to, to be a part of that? As a pastor, essentially what you're doing is whatever a pastor does every week to go study in preparation to preach, you're doing that as a small group, how cool. Um, So the facilitator, the leader, uh, must be ready to ask questions. You write those down in advance. Write as many questions down as you can in advance. You can improvise those as you go if you want, but it's good to have questions prepared in advance. The facilitator leader should be prepared to teach only when it's necessary to bring conversation back within doctrinal or thematic parameters. The facilitator leader should create opportunities for people to use their concordance, treasury scripture knowledge, in the midst of their group study. And the facilitator leaders should Use the study time as an opportunity to explain and model Bible study principles. Encourage note-taking, encourage question-asking, encourage homework. Some things might not be able to get addressed. And so what you can do is you can assign homework and say, okay, guys, do this homework, and then come back, and we'll talk about that again. And then what you're doing is they're giving them really simple tidbits so they can begin to use what they're learning at home. Um, Now, just to throw this out out to you, we do this all school year long because we know that it's evangelical. Right now in our ministry, we're doing creation to Christ using Discovery Bible Method. Right? And and so it's a a great tool. Uh, And then in the summer months, what we do is we do what we refer to as SOT or personal Bible study, and then we we do deep dives in the summer because generally the people that are here with us in the summer are growing and mature believers and they've been with us through the whole school year. And so for us, we use that two month period to let people do personal studies and then they come back and they do a chapter study and a verse study and a word study and that's their opportunity to show off what God's doing and to really cut their teeth personally. Um, but, But most of the year we spend our time doing discovery Bible method just like this. The last thing after you've done dissection Five is you, of course, have application. Okay, when you've worked through the passage, by the, at the, by the very end, you ask the question, what are you personally going to take away from this passage? Once you're all done, you ask, this. guys, this has to happen. Again, <laughs> why are we meeting if we don't take time like this to say, what is God showing you? What is God showing you? And then, listen to me, this is crucial. This is the, okay, listen to me. When lost people or people that are on the fringes come into your small group, they might have no idea what Christian community is at all. And then when they get there, what you're doing is you're scaffolding and and you're letting them know, well, we're not a cult as you see it. We are just passionate people about the word of God and we love one another. And you're gonna see love here like you've never seen before. You thought you knew what friendship was? Oh, now listen to me. I bet if you ask 75% of the people in the college and young adult ministry, what they'll say is the thing that they were drawn to the most in the beginning was the incredible and almost unnatural friendships in small group. That's the first thing that they got. They don't say, oh, I, you know, I remember that night we were studying, you know, Hebrews 4, and, and I walked away with, you know, this understanding about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. No one's going to say that, right? This is why application is important. Because what it does is you, you say to one another, okay, now, now that God's shown you that, let's, let's pray about it. Because first of all, you can't live what you're talking about unless God helps you. That's first and foremost. Second of all, I care for you so much and I love you so much that I'm gonna take time to pray for you. Because whatever it is that God's showing you, I'm burdened by that as well. And so we're gonna pray together because we love one another and we want God's best for one another. And that's how you conclude a discovery Bible method. That's it, that's the structure. Now listen to me, you don't get this at first, it's clunky. There's guys in our ministry right now, I know in my mind, I gotta sit down with them and talk to them because they've been doing it wrong for a few months and and there's things that they can improve and get better at. And I need to have those conversations with them because a lot of times what we wanna do is revert back to that SOT teacher model. And so what happens is guys can have a tendency to to wanna teach and and they get in that mode and they're like, they're teaching and, and maybe, here's the other thing about this is people shouldn't necessarily be expected to bring a study. That's a hard habit to get out of. Like, you want your leaders, the people that are coming up, like in in Lisa and Lydia's situation, Lisa would expect Lydia, who's being trained to have another Bible study, to prepare every week. But for the most part, you're doing Bible study together for a reason. And so there doesn't have to be a whole lot of pressure on people to go study on their own, only as they're growing into their leadership capacity. And so what people are doing is they're coming together so that they're studying together And then they're not getting distracted. They're focused on the main thing. So here's the, I want to conclude with this, and then we've got like five minutes, I believe, uh, for, for a little bit of question asking. Bible studies are only evangelical if we want them to be. First and foremost, Bible studies, they can be whatever you want, I guess. But they're only evangelical if you want them to be. If you don't want that, that's fine. You do SOT model and you'll edify your group. And you'll and you could do that and you'll edify your group and you'll you'll build leaders that way. They might not, because the lost aren't coming in, they might not necessarily get good at evangelism. And because there's not a multiplying effect in your Bible study necessarily, you're just plugging in members. You're not necessarily gonna be growing leaders because there won't be splitting and multiplying. What I'm saying is, if you want Bible studies to be evangelical, you have to, You just have to begin making it that way. Okay, so if Bible studies are going to be evangelical, then we have to invite lost people, don't we? So all the people in your Bible study have to recognize that their objective to invite their friend from work to Bible study. And again, when they get there, there better be brownies. There should always be food at Bible study. Write that down. Write that down. There should always be food at Bible study. This is so real. And, And as you break bread together, whatever it is, there's something true about this um, I, 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 this is my personal perspective That when you eat there's something vulnerable that happens When you're chomping in front of people Okay And you're sharing and you're, and you're handing food here And can I get you a drink When there's food involved suddenly there's servanthood And there's, there's vulnerability that takes place And you're setting yourself up for a really good Bible study In my opinion I believe that's true But we invite the lost and we create an environment That's an invitational to the lost And then we open the word of God That's what you'll do You'll do that. If you want to be evangelical, the Bible will be open. And then lastly, if you want your Bible studies to be evangelical, then you need to express Christ's love to people. The gospel has to be at the center of all the conversations. You constantly have to be pushing, just the way you would if you were out on the street doing confrontational uh, confrontational evangelism. Your primary objective is to to point them to Jesus, because that's who's going to set them free. Okay? Does anybody have any questions? Yes, Frank. Do you have any kind of list of questions that you guys put together in the In general, I realize in your specific books, you may have a different direction of your questions. Do you guys, I noticed in this handout, I had a few questions to ask. Yeah. you uh, guys put any kind of list together? No. Uh, those, are, those are just example questions that I came up with, and I, I wanted you to see what kind of questions someone might ask. Um, I want to be real careful ab- about not making this prescriptive. And so if I gave you, if I gave a handout that said, here's the type of questions that you might ask, um, I don't want you to get pigeonholed into asking the same questions every week. You, as the leader, should be studying the passage and developing those questions, and what that actually does is it forces you to understand the passage better, because you can't ask the right questions if you don't know the right answer. Right? It's backwards design. So you start with the answer, you know the answer, and so you write the question according to the answer that you already know and the outcome that you want the, the learner to have. You're prepared in that way. So you don't ask the question because you don't know the answer. You know the answer and so you write the question. That's, that's, that's good. Any other any other questions? Yes.
4: So what are your thoughts on, I know that you try to focus on people being in the same neighborhood and establish that, but um, our church is in a small town and- we live an hour away thank you so um, I guess my question is you know we um, our church is in a small town because my husband and I both grew up there. we live an hour away, and there's several other people that live in multiple different cities we 've got a collective group of women mm. who get together and we 're from five different cities and so right now what I 'm trying to do is I have been just trying to establish relationships so i've been getting ladies together once a month because they they even say that once a month is challenging right now. Mm, And so how do I establish consistency if they're saying once a month? Do I just start once a month and then try to say, hey, what about twice a month? And then as they grow more, then establish that?
0: This is a really good question. So I have two things to say. So the first thing is, no, you hold the standard high. You meet twice a month. If you're willing to do it, and even if it's only one other person that comes, Okay, so maybe, maybe the, the rest of the, the, the gals can't come twice a month. Okay, let them not make it. But if it's just you and one other person, man, worth it. And if you've got the capacity to do it, because that consistency and that regularity, again, twice a month studying God's word is better than once a month studying God's word, right? So I would do it with the hope that people would continue to join you, and that'll prove out their commitment as well. They would be counting the cost. Oh, they're meeting twice a I can only meet once a month but then a month or two passes, and they're like, man, I'm enjoying this. I'm gonna do it twice a month, too, right? Uh, The other part is that you're saying that, that, that because it's a rural community that people are kind of in multiple different towns. And so what I would say is that in the beginning, this is actually perfect strategically because what you're doing is you're bringing them together, you're growing them up, you're building them. Make them drive in, okay? Make them come to you You're building them up because again, the primary objective is to get them ready to start their own small group and they're gonna go back to their community, their block, their neighborhood and they're gonna be able to recreate that culture somewhere else. So the fact that people are from different areas is awesome in the beginning because all it's saying, so you can trust God for that vision and you can say to yourself, oh, I see what God's up to because he wants a Bible study in each of those neighborhoods all around this town. Does that make sense? So that's the way I would think about that. Yes. Do you suggest we have a supply of King James Bibles? Oh, good question. And then if somebody comes with something else, what's an easy way yeah. to deal with that? Yeah, this is a great question. I should have known this is coming. I should have already addressed it. So yes, um, if you, okay, first of all, if you go to a Baptist church, you should have more King James Bibles than you could possibly believe. And if you don't have enough King James Bibles that you can give away for free, then you need to talk to Heartland. In Harrisonville and they will hook you up so you need to have tons of KJV Bibles now listen because Bible studies are supposed to be evangelical and you're reaching out to people who aren't necessarily strong believers you want to be very careful with them in the beginning and you let them bring their own Bible but here's the deal they're not going to be able to properly study with you so think for a minute a word study I, you know, I accidentally was reading Hosea out of an ESV on my phone. It like, you know how, you, if you, I bumped the button and I was reading this morning, I was in the, I was in the ESV, I had bumped somehow accidentally and I'm reading it, and I'm like, this doesn't sound right. What is going, what's going on? And I realized, okay, because it's not the same. Two things that are different can't be the same. We all know that. So what I would say is, is in the beginning don't make a thing of it but this is what you do is you give people bibles and you say if we're all using the same bible we'll be able to study to, together and so you'll you'll disseminate the KJV under the guise of well we want to be single minded and that'll happen easiest if we're using the same bible and then you can cross that bridge in terms of the history and the doctrine and the things that you know about God's word you can address those issues later but you'll be you'll be cultivating KJVism. Uh, just by saying, here's a, here's a Bible, we're going to study from the KJV. Uh, we're not saying that your Bible is a problem. What we're saying is we're going to use this here to study from. And that way they don't feel condemned, but then actually they feel invited. And that's how, that's how I would handle it. We, that comes up a lot. But, but every Bible study has to have a stack of five or six just to have on hand. Any other questions? Yes, James. Uh, i just got a question about the, the way to visit. Can you describe
2: the genesis of a new Bible study? So, when you started uh, on the college campus, um, how many members from your church uh, are you expect are you trying to get in the, the mm. beginning stages of that? And do you have like a um, specific book of the Bible that you encourage your leaders to begin with, uh, those kind of beginning stages?
0: That's a great question. So as far as the college of young adult ministry, uh, the other fellowships do this too. So I can't necessarily speak to what they're doing in the other fellowships. They do this same thing, but it looks a little bit different uh, in those ministries. So again, when it started, I'll, I'll try to make this brief. When it started, it started as one Bible study. Yes, Dan, Dan was present. I was in the high school ministry. I wasn't there. It started as one Bible study. When the Bible study grew and a leader was developed, then the Bible study broke off. And then in time, what we began to recognize when I I came into Kaya is that it was actually really helpful, and I think you guys did this too, is if we all studied the same passage together. So all of Kaya, if we're all in Colossians, we're all in Colossians. Each Bible study isn't studying a different thing because we're trying to keep a general pace together. Right, the the conversation is kind of the same that's happening. So that's the way we try to do it. Um, Right now, we're doing creation to Christ because I want everyone in the ministry to know creation to Christ, so they can do one-on-one Bible studies. That's why we're doing that now. We did previously. uh, We we did the Gospel of John. Why? Because it's super evangelical. Um, But we've done we've done uh, we try to keep it New Testament. We try to keep it Pauline epistles generally. but I'm not afraid, like in the summer months, when we get down and we do the more of the SOT type of thing of, of saying, hey, we're gonna study Deuteronomy. And, and, and I, so here's another thing with that. There's been some, some discussion among the leaders, like we wanna go deeper, but our small group seems, it's a little more surface because it's evangelical. We wanna go deeper. And so for the guys, we do something called preach night, where they get, to, they get opportunities to study and preach and then get critiqued by the pastors. It's kind of a scary thing, ask me about it later but it's a lot of fun. And the women have a leadership group where they're doing SOT style and they're actually in Deuteronomy right now studying leadership principles. And they're doing SOT and they meet once a month on Sunday nights just so they get extra deep sharpening um, because they're hungry for it. So we provide it. But when it's first starting out, it it could be um, three, four, five, six that get pulled off from one Bible study to start another. That way there's some strength. It doesn't have to happen that way Um, There's a lot of strategy conversations that happen. Right now, I, I believe that God's showing us that our Bible studies need to get smaller and leaner so that we can spread ourselves out thinner so that we can be stretched and have greater faith. And so right now, we're talking about starting some Bible studies with maybe just two or three people so that it's more of a pioneer work. And I'm not afraid to do that in the season that we're in because we have the depth and the strength to do it. I have enough leaders that look leadership ready. I'm like, well, forget it. Let's just, let's just get real lean and mean. Let's really divide this thing out real thin and let's go and do it and let's win some souls and let's grow Bible studies and we'll start all over. And so it can look different, it just depends. The main thing is whether or not that Bible study leader is super prepared to do it. You can see that they're a shepherd and that they have at least one other person that's strong enough to support them when times get tough. Does that answer the question kind of? If we need to talk about more, we can later. Um, I don't want to go any further. Everybody's hungry, aren't you? Um, If you have a question, come find me. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit LFFellowship.com. God bless.